0: We have been sacrificing our education to protest against your inaction.
1: Ask the EU to stop caging animals.
2: To reconcile the economy with our planet. Set a timeline for fossil fuel phase out. To master the challenges of the digital age.
3: None of the European nations will be part of the GA. It
0: is about where we want to go and who we want to be.
4: Hello there. Welcome to Citizen Central, a podcast series all about the first transnational democracy instrument in the world, the European Citizens Initiative. Brought about back in the Lisbon Treaty, the ECI gives people the chance to pitch their own EU policies to the European Commission by gathering one million signatures from seven EU states. My name is Maeve McMahon. I'm an Irish reporter in Brussels and on Citizen Central, I'll be finding out what exactly the ECI is, how you can launch or support one, and what drives people to give up their time and energy for a cause they care deeply about. COVID has had a major impact on ECI campaigns, but in times of adversity, communities got closer. It was the civil servants who were recognised as the true heroes of our time. And it's the son of two civil servants who's currently carrying out an ECI. So Adam, tell us who you are where are you from, and what your ECI is about.
3: So I'm Adam Mazoyer, I'm French, uh, as you can probably hear by my accent. I'm 26 years old, I'm a former student. Our initiative is the Civil Servant Exchange Programme that intends to launch a Europe-wide scheme that will offer the 30 million civil servants uh, working across the EU the right to gain the work experience in another member state. So it can be seen as what we unofficially call it an Erasmus for civil uh, servants. So this voluntary exchange would take place in a similar service for a period between two to 12 months so that the participant can observe and learn how their work is done in another member state. First, to experience what it really means to be European in a certain way because we deeply believe that the European Union is first a union of people before being a union of states and secondly, allow them to develop a constant exchange of know-how with each other. So, for example, uh, S- Swedish firefighters could learn how Spanish firefighters deal with forest uh, management, or German nurses could learn from Bulgarian nurses how they treat patients and what medical practices they perform, uh, for example.
4: How did you get so passionate about this topic? And how did you find out about the ECI? Uh,
3: so, for the ECI, uh, it's a little bit uh, easy for us because we were students and learning about the European Union and the European institutions and European law in a certain way so we were already used to this idea of a European initiative. One of my friends had the idea of this exchange and we were thinking about how could we get involved on that, how could we help in practice, we should say. And we were thinking yeah, about taking the Erasmus and yeah, making it much broader. How could we continue this experience and being all together from different nationalities? And we were like, yeah, sharing is important. So how could we develop that, but like for civil servants in a certain way?
4: And have your parents signed up? What do they think of your ECI?
3: My parents are very happy, I think, about that. But yeah, they're kind of happy and saying that if this would have existed when they were younger, they would probably have done it.
4: People may be asking themselves, why do civil servants need their very own mobility programme? In a lot of
3: ways, uh, you can learn from each other. For example, if we take firefighters with climate change, Uh, we will have more and more um, heat fires, for example, and in northern countries. But they are not specifically used to that. But for southern countries like Italy or Spain, they're used to this. So to have those type of exchanges coming up and up and up, this would help public service in general to be more trained. Adam, why are
4: you such a convinced European?
3: That's a good question. I've been a convinced European for years, I would say, because I think differences between countries could be more of a chance than a burden in a lot of ways. And I think as Europeans, we don't in general understand how lucky we are to have the European Union. And that's why I want to continue it. And this is why this, um, this program is here to make the civil servant feel what is to be European, but like directly from civil servant to civil servant. Having 1 million signatures would be the best, but we're also trying to raise public and political awareness on this matter. Just having a political debate about that or just emerging this idea of it would be kind of a success for us.
4: Well, thanks a million, Adam, for being with us on Citizen Central. Best of luck to you getting those 1 million signatures. All the best.
3: Thank you very much.
4: Open the newspaper or watch the evening news and you'll have seen how many civil servants are already having to work transnationally. But last summer, firefighters have been teaming up well beyond national borders. And that's why to get an expert opinion on transnational civil service, we reached out to the Federation of European Fire Officers Association to speak to Jacob Vested-Andersen. He's a board member of the Danish Emergency Management Organisation and the Executive Director of the Greater Copenhagen Fire Department. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us on Citizen Central.
5: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
4: So you have a fire officer development program about to come out next year. Can you tell us exactly what it's about and how you got it going?
5: Actually, we're doing a the first uh, what we call officer development program in uh, in March next year. We have for several years discussed how to establish a, a common development program uh, across the European countries, Uh, because we see a great potential in a joint focus and developing leadership within the fire rescue service. Because when we see the challenges uh, we are facing in the future, we see a big need for great network, great exchange of knowledge to learn and be more efficient as a fire service. And we see into a future where, where the challenges that we face as fire and rescue service will be even greater. So we need to focus on how we can share and inspire each other to make an even better fire service in our own country. So that's why we are focusing on developing a program for the uh, European fire officers uh, across Europe.
4: And is it true that being prepared is a firefighter motto?
5: Absolutely. That's actually a part of our DNA, if you can say so, that we need to be prepared before it happens because when it already has happened, it's too late. And there's a lot of experience throughout Europe in the Fire and Rescue Services in Europe and that's also what we're trying to share uh, with this Officer Development Programme.
4: Jacob, did you ever hear of the ECI before we called you?
5: And no, no, not until I heard it from you.
4: What exactly do you think of the ECI initiative?
5: It's, it's a very good initiative. I think um, we're all a part of the European uh, Union. We're citizens and we face the same challenges as well.
4: Well, if Adam manages to get his program up and running, we will pass them on your phone number. Thank you so much, Jacob, for being with us on Citizen Central.
5: Absolutely. That could be great. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
4: Now, understanding the extent of the civil service can be complex. It reaches far beyond schools, hospitals, courts and town halls. And for new member states joining the European Union, there's a lot to learn. Many changes in the ways of working for thousands of civil servants. That's why we're off to Bulgaria now to meet Pavel Ivanov, the executive director of the Bulgarian Institute of Public Administration.
1: The name of the institute was Institute of Public Administration and European Integration. So the institute played a huge role uh, during the accession of Bulgaria in the EU. Uh, we are also running a project together with our Polish and uh, Latvian and Hungarian Colleagues. I believe that we should have more of these kind of projects. We have to work more closely with other, other member states. For example, Bulgarian participants, um, uh, people from the ministry, ministry of Transport, uh, National Security Agency is also there. So they work together with not only, the, only with their counterparts, but also with other officials. So there's top-level uh, senior civil servants. So I believe that uh, if people are organized, they can change They can change the legislation. So th- that's where we need civil society to be more active. Civil society is only active if something wrong happens. So basically, we need to have a strong civil society even without something wrong happening. My personal aim is to evolve more international institutions, so European institutions. So that's, that's very important for the country here. One of the things also that I see here after the COVID thing happened is that people somehow try to work more together. People are more happy to participate and to meet other people. For civil servants, I see that uh, the unity and uh, the idea of the, let's say, the development, come and uh, work together is uh, it's happening.
4: Now, for young people being brought up today in Europe, the EU is meant to be a borderless continent where they can travel freely and live and work where they choose. But in taking that choice, do you keep your civic rights? That's exactly what our next guest is trying to achieve. With the ECI, Voters Without Borders, Rosalie van der Brink wants every European to have voting rights in the member state they reside. Rosalie, tell us where are you joining us from today?
0: Um, Yeah, thank you for having me. I am joining you from Vienna, Austria, where I live now. Where are you from? I'm originally from the Netherlands, so I did uh, my Erasmus here and then decided to stay and do my master here from next semester on.
4: And any plans to go back to the Netherlands or do you see your future in Vienna for a while?
0: Uh, For a while in Vienna. We'll see what the next uh, exchange semester will take me probably.
4: (laughs) And what age are you? I'm 24. And did this experience of living in Vienna obviously spark you to join this ECI? Yes, yes, definitely. The first
0: time I got here was right around the national elections here in, in Austria. And then for my ECI, it was the sort, first sort of realization that uh, there, that elections in another country where you live for a while or for longer can have such an impact. So that's definitely sparked uh, an interest in, in the ECI. So with that, tell
4: our listeners about your ECI, Voters Without Borders.
0: Yes, so Voters Without Borders is an ECI that wants to um, increase democratic rights for EU citizens. So as of now, EU citizens uh, living in a different member state than where they're originally from can vote on a municipal level and on the European level, but cannot participate in regional elections and national elections and referendums. And we think that's an issue because it feels sort of that you have to change the, the right to freedom of movement and your European experience for having more difficulty with voting um, or losing your voting rights in general, being disenfranchised. That's what
4: we want to address on the European level. And remind our listeners why this is the case, why they can only vote in local and European elections and not in national elections. Um,
0: voting rights are still connected to your nationality, so depending on where you're, what, country issued your passport, that's where you can vote. Then in the the Treaty of Maastricht outlined the rights you have as an EU citizen, but that's still connected to um, your passport as well, your nationality. So that is, is the most important in this case.
4: Yeah, I know a lot of the international community here in Brussels, people who've been here for many years, like over 10 years, for example, who came perhaps to do a stash with the European Commission and 10 years later, they realize that they're still here. They might have a family and many contemplating getting Belgian nationality just so that they can vote in the national elections.
0: Yeah, so people often stay a lot longer than they anticipate. For me, for example, uh, I just moved here for an Erasmus semester and I was supposed to go back and ended up staying for longer. So I'm wondering what this will bring for my future. And luckily, my country, the Netherlands, doesn't disenfranchise me after a certain period abroad, but there are five EU member states that actually do that. So people living abroad for a certain amount of time can actually lose their voting rights for the period they're abroad in their home country as well, which leaves them sort of stuck in a place where they don't have any rights at all.
4: Okay. And tell us about your involvement with this ECI. How has the journey been so far? And what have you achieved, if you think already? Have you sparked a big debate about this already among friends, among family, among contacts? Yeah, so first part, the
0: journey. It is really interesting to work on an ECI because, first of all, a tool that's not very well known. But then you find working on a big issue such as voting rights has a lot of counterparts in different European member states. So uh, other organizations that are quite small and quite dispersed across the EU but are fighting for a similar cause. So it's great to connect with those people. Starting a debate from an ECI, in my friends and family circles, of course, and it's, <laughs> I'm very adamant about it, um, talking to as much people as I can. But on the bigger spectrum, I think it's quite difficult. I think some ECIs have a very clear message and the age, for example, is very clear, but I think with voting rights, people are often a bit more taken aback by such a, such a big issue. But it is really important, especially With my friends in Erasmus circles, people who want to go abroad, they start now to think about it and how it might
4: impact their future as well, taking up a study abroad and see where it takes them. So do you find for those who've done Erasmus, the so-called Erasmus generation, it's kind of a no-brainer that this should be a right? And for older generation, perhaps not so much? I think for, for my generation
0: especially, we are born with open borders. That's completely obvious to us. For me, when the borders closed during COVID, I was like, what do you mean? I can't go across? <laughs> so that's completely new, and I think people from my generation often take it as a as a given that that's possible and have such a drive to go to a different EU member state, learn another language and have a different experience. But then I think with voting rights, you start to think about once it sort of happens. So when there will be elections back home and you suddenly have to register as a voter abroad or uh, when here are elections and your friends and are discussing who to vote on, that then they start to think like, hey, why is it not possible for me? Why can't I join in this democratic discussion basically? I think for the older generation, it's also quite important because we encounter a lot of people who have been living abroad already for many years and have concerns that we will probably have in the coming years, like what happens with your pension? What happens if I want to spend my retirement in a different EU member state?
4: And how long do you think somebody should reside in a country before they get voting rights?
0: Yeah, I think there is a European directive and that says that after five years, an EU citizen has a right to permanent residence. So I think this would be a good target to to
4: keep and if your ECI or voters without borders would be accepted, what do you think should happen then to your home country's right to vote? Um, for us, it's important that people have a choice.
0: So with the EU elections, people have a choice where they want to vote. So I could choose if I want to vote here in Austria or in Netherlands, and that is then registered so I can't have a, a double vote. And I think that would be a good solution. And that then there's a similar system that takes
4: um, track of that. It's so lovely to talk to you today on Citizen Central. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we've got the latest there from Rosalie, so let's bring in an EU expert now and speak to Tobias Locke, a German man based in Ireland. He's a Jean Monnet professor of EU law at the National University of Ireland in Maynooth. Toby, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you?
2: I'm very well, how are you?
4: Very well and happier that I can speak to you. And hear what you think of this ECI.
2: Well, it's it's a it's an interesting uh, ECI, I think, uh, because it touches on a on a real gap that we have in EU citizenship. Everyone who has an EU uh, passport, who has a has the nationality of an EU member state, is also an EU citizen, and that allows us to move from you know one member state to another and live there. But what if we live there? We we have a right to vote but only in local elections and in European Parliament elections. And this ECI wants to give us, those of us who have moved to another member state and live there and have, have made a life there, the right to vote in national elections, which are still, you know, in, in most member states, if not all, the most important ones.
4: And why is it not the case?
2: It's a bit difficult to, to say. I mean, there's no clear evidence, I think, why the member states, when they introduced EU citizenship with the Maastricht Treaty, didn't give... Movers, people who've moved to another member state, the right to vote in national elections. One reason is is a political one. I don't think politicians thought it was um, particularly a particularly good idea to allow foreigners uh, the right to vote. But I also think that that there's a legal uh, background to it, uh, especially uh, in in Germany, uh, where the constitutional court negotiated that you cannot extend the right to vote, even in local elections, to foreign nationals. Uh, and I think that's where at least the German government would have gotten cold feet. They would have said, look, I mean, you can't, we can we can, we can deal with local elections, we have to change the constitution, but national elections is a different kettle of fish and therefore we, we don't want to go there. And I can imagine that maybe similar considerations played a part in other member states.
4: A different kettle of fish indeed. It's funny, though, isn't it, Toby? Because like so many young people as well are growing up in a borderless continent. They're used to using the euro when they travel around. They have the freedom to travel among the Schengen zone. They don't even have to show their passport. But voting rights is just not a given. And I guess it's just very frustrating for young people. We can see that with Rosalie. She lives in Vienna, but she's from the Netherlands. And for her, she thinks it should be a given. Are there any countries in the EU where you do have this right?
3: Well, I
2: am not aware of any country in the EU that universally extends the franchise to foreign nationals or even just EU nationals who live there permanently. That, that area of law, nationality law, and also the right to vote is very idiosyncratic and it differs from member state to member state, but as a rule, Almost all member states restrict the right to vote in national elections and in referendums, national referendums. So you you do have a large proportion of populations in the EU who are excluded from the right to vote, even though they permanently live in the member state concerned, They pay their taxes there, they pay their social insurance contributions and all sorts of things they can't hold. Mm. or or, and they can't stand for election either I mean that is the other side of of the right to vote you know you have the right to vote you have the right active right to to cast a vote you also have the right normally to to stand to to get yourself elected and they can't do that either of course
4: So Toby what about this ECI do you think it will fly?
2: Well I don't know whether it'll get the 1 million signatures I I wish them good luck Uh, personally it's it's a great topic I enjoy this
4: Well great thanks a million thanks for joining us Take care have fun mate. Bye Well, as we saw in our first chapter, gathering one million signatures seems easy at the start. But then campaigning is tricky. In fact, getting people to sign is often a big challenge. But since 2020, there's been what's called the ECI Forum, a powerful tool to support all ECIs giving advice and information to organisers before, during and after the process of launching and implementing an initiative. To find out more, let's bring in Asya Kavrikova. Asia, thanks so much for being with us on Citizen Central. The pleasure is entirely mine. First question, just tell us about yourself, who you are and what you do.
6: I'm Asika Vrakovan, the director of the European Citizen Action Service. We are an European association. Uh, this year we have a 30th anniversary. So 30 years of empowering citizens to exercise their rights. So what we campaign for is a democratic and citizen-centric union where the rights of European citizens are at the heart of the European project. And we support European citizens to exercise both their uh, EU-related rights, the ones linked to the freedom of movement in the EU, as well as their participation rights. Uh, This is where in the whole picture the European Citizens Initiative comes along because, of course, this is a very central right which provides the opportunity to citizens to put issues on the agenda of the European Union.
4: Asya, if one of our listeners wants to register an ECI, where should they start? How do they go about this process?
6: First, of course, it's very important for anyone who wants to launch an ECI to decide if the European Citizens Initiative is the right tool for them. And then your second step should be to check if there are already ongoing initiatives on this subject, because if there is an ongoing initiative, then you'd better join it. You have to make sure one very important thing, that whatever you want to achieve in terms of legislation falls within the competencies of the European Union. So if you are in doubt here, you can ask our legal experts for advice. If they tell you, yes, you can go ahead, then you can Uh, basically start with the official registration process. And what
4: tools exactly do you offer initiative leaders at this ECI forum?
6: What we are managing is the European Citizens' Initiative Forum, which is an online, collaborative, multilingual platform available to organizers and which they can use in order to have access to plenty of very rich learning materials. There is also a connect function, which allows you to connect with other uh, users of the forum, which um, you may find um, have similar thoughts or intentions on the subject of your concern and last but not least the seek advice section which allows organizers and also all citizens interested to get um, a very specialized tailored advice on fundraising issues, campaigning issues and also the legal basis of their initiatives. Is it used by many leaders? At present, uh, one-third of the registered initiatives have benefited from this advice because of course it's easier said than done to know what falls within the competence of the European Union if you do not have a legal background.
4: What is the secret to a successful ECI?
6: Well prepared campaign in advance is crucial for the success because one million signatures it's easier said than done. So you have to be very hands-on Many things can happen internally in your network. Many things can happen in the environment around you. So you need to keep a certain level of flexibility uh, so that when you see that something is not going according to your plan, you can immediately set up an alternative plan.
4: Thank you so much, Asia, for being with us. Thank you. Well, that brings this edition of Citizen Central to an end. Thank you so much to all our guests and, of course, to you for listening. And if you fancy finding out a little bit more about any of these ECIs, do check out our show notes. And you can also take a look at the ECI website or follow the ECI's individual social media channel. And, of course, if you want to propose a brand new ECI, you can head over to the ECI forum to learn more about how to get started. I'm Meg McMahon and you've been listening to Citizen Central.